I have had the opportunity to be here as a pastor for 20 years, going on 21 years now. And so over the holidays, one of the things that I did is I went through all the messages that I've preached in 20 years. Um, and I kind of looked at, I tried to look at pattern, um, and I put it on Excel spreadsheet. So uh, anyway, so I put it all down and by the years. And so, because my idea was, my goal as a pastor is to teach the whole counsel of God. So my, my issue is, well, let's look at, let's see what we've covered and what we haven't covered. So I came up with some, some New Testament and Old Testament passages or books that we really haven't spent some time in. And one of those was the book we're going to take a journey on for the next couple of months, and that's the book of 1 Peter. Um, when I looked to it, we just haven't spent a lot of time in 1 Peter or 2 Peter. So I thought, well, you know what, let's just walk through the book, um, and let's try to understand some things. So uh, that's the journey. So you know, basically what I try to do is my... my operandi, modus operandi, whatever you want to call it is, I usually try to do an Old Testament, a New Testament, life of Christ, uh, Bible character. I try to change it up a little bit so we kind of get a whole perspective of the scriptures. And so coming off of Elijah last year, we're heading into First uh, Peter here for the next couple of months. So uh, we're going to start in the book of First Peter. So let me give you some background, okay, before we get going. Um, Peter is one of the close followers of Jesus Christ. So you had the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And it's significant because when you look at the New Testament, Peter, James, and John, outside of the Apostle Paul, wrote a significant amount of the New Testament. So they're, they're fairly influential in, in, in their impact on the New Testament. Uh, Peter, of course, you know Peter's story. Peter was the guy who talked first and then thought about it later. Uh, Peter's the one a lot of us can relate to, all right? Peter's um, one of these guys that, you know, you, there was no question what was Peter thinking, all right? Because whatever Peter was thinking is what he said, is the way that works. Uh, when we get to the book of Peter, Peter is writing, and I'll talk about this in a second. It's what we call a circular letter. It was a letter that wasn't necessarily written to one specific church, but rather it was a letter that went from place to place to place. So, he would write it, and it would go to this place, and then this place, and then this place, and so everybody kind of got to read it, all right? Um, Peter has some similarities to the book of James. Uh, James and Peter both talk about trials, and they use a word that is only found in those two books. Um, Peter talks about, um, there's, there's some uh, similarities to the book of Ephesians, um, and, and Peter has some, there, there's some ties with Peter in the church of Ephesus. But one of the things about, about the book of Peter is, or First Peter, is when Peter writes it, um, Peter talks about the Christian journey. And Ephesians talks about the Christian, how God sees him. And God sees him seated in the heavenlies. Uh, Peter kind of brings it down to earth and says, okay, the Christian's really seated in the heavenlies with God, but the reality of it is the Christian is on this earth. And here's what it looks like to be a Christian on the earth. And so Peter talks about a lot of practical things. Uh, he's going to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about how, you, how um, we interact with other people. He's going to talk about how you do your job. He's going to talk about joy. He's going to talk about how you handle persecution and trials and, and, and all these kinds of things. So it should be an interesting journey. Here's what I want you to remember more than anything else about Peter as far as our background. Peter has written probably about 68 A.D. or so. In 68 A.D., something very significant happens. Nero dies. Now, those of you who know anything about Roman history know that Nero was a really bad guy. 
Nero did not like Christians. In fact, Nero set fire to Rome and blamed Christians for starting it. Um, So he had really fueled this whole hatred for Christianity. Uh, Peter has written to a group of people who are what we call first-generation Christians. What that means is these are the first people in their family that have trusted Christ. So think about it for a minute. You've been a Jew all of your life, and all of a sudden you start to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and you're going to follow Jesus as the Messiah. Now that means a whole bunch of things. Number one, it means all your Jewish friends are done with you. It means all the people that you did business with as a Jew are done with you. It also means that you're going to have a problem not just with your Jews, Jewish friends, but you're going to have a problem with Rome. Because Rome required that every person say, Caesar is Lord. And so if you're not willing to say Caesar is Lord, they're going to brand you as a heretic. And so all of a sudden now Rome is not happy with you. If you weren't a Jew, if you were worshiping a pagan god and you became a follower of Jesus Christ or a follower of the way, guess what? A big problem now because, you know what? You're not going to support the idol temple anymore. So they're going to lose money and they're going to get upset. In addition, there was a Roman philosophy that, was, that existed at this time where Rome focused on power and prestige. You have this incredible class of people and there's like the Roman people and then there's like everybody else. And so Rome prided itself on its pride and its arrogance and, and, and all of the things that came with that, the philosophy and the, the, all of the stuff that came with that. The Christian way was a way of service. It was literally to be a servant, which was disdained in the, Jew, in, in the Roman culture at the time. So you really made yourself an outcast. So when Peter writes to Christians, he's going to try to address a lot of that kind of stuff. He's going to try to help us understand some of that stuff for us as a Christian. So that's a little bit of background. So with that in mind, I'm going to do this a little different than I normally do. You know, normally we read the passage and we talk about it, and then we apply it. This time, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a verse. We're going to talk about one verse. Then we're going to read another verse. We're going to talk about that verse. Then we're going to read another verse. We're going to talk about that verse, and then we're going to apply it all at the end. Okay? So a little different. It's a format that will work for us today. Okay? So with that in mind, 1 Peter chapter 1 Here's what it says. He starts by saying this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. That's Christians. Notice what he says next. What? Come on, help me out. What does he say next? Strangers in this world. And then he talks, scattered throughout. Pontus, Galatians, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. What is he starts right off by saying this. What? You're a believer... And you are a stranger in this world. And you're scattered abroad. You're all over the place. So right off the bat, he addresses who he's talking to here. He says, let me tell you. He said, I'm writing this to those of you who are believers, who are strangers in this world. Folks, listen, remember this. This world is not home. This world is not home for us. We are foreigners here. We are illegal aliens in this world. Because this is not our place. And he says, I want you to remember, you're a stranger in this world, and you're scattered abroad. You are all over. When, other than Sunday morning, will this group ever get together throughout this week? Why? Because as soon as you walk out of here, we go everywhere. We got people in... And Timbuktu, we got people in north of Timbuktu, and we got we got people everywhere. 
Because what he says, you need to understand, that's what God does. He says, guys, look, I understand this. I've, brought, I've, I've saved you. I, you. You are my children. And you are strangers in this world. You are scattered abroad. And that's who I'm writing this book to. And then he goes on. Notice what he says next. Who have been chosen according to foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And you understand all that verse, so I don't have to talk about it, right? Let's break it down. Here we go. Notice what he starts with. You've been chosen according to foreknowledge of God. Here's what he said. We, you know, we can get into this whole election and debate and free will and all that kind of thing. Let's not get, let's not get all hung up. I like what Spurgeon says. I don't reconcile friends. Um, and so here's the idea. He says, look, God, God made a way for you to come to Christ. He made that way for you. And he goes on to say this. Notice what he says. And not only that, but it's through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, that's a big fancy word, but let me help you out. Sanctify means set apart. Okay? Let me give you an analogy of my house. In my house, there are three types of dinner plates. There's what we use all week long. Those are known as paper products. Okay? I'm sorry. I'm not spending my life doing the dishes. I am spending my life throwing it in the trash, hauling out to my burn thing, and lighting it on fire. Um, plus, it's a way to play with fire. So, I, you know, so paper plates. That's what we eat off of most of the week. Okay? If our, our kids come over, we get out the red plates. Now, the red plates are nicer plates. Okay? And, and, and so we get, what's that? Yeah, red solo. Yeah, no, not the red cups, the red plates. So we get out the red plates, and it's like china plates that you have to wash, okay? And then in our house, we have, my wife over the years has collected depression glass. We have a cabinet full of depression glass. And when was the last time we had that out? It's got to be like 10 years, who knows? And then we have depression glass stuff that we eat off of. You could say that what we have in that depression glass cabinet is plates that are set apart. They are very special. They are not your ordinary plates. And so what Peter is saying is he says, you need to understand, God saved you and then God set you apart. And literally the, the, the word in the Greek language has the idea of he set you apart and is continuing to set you apart. And he says, so here's what God's done. God saved you, and then he set you apart. He said, you are my special people. You are my children. And then he takes it one step further. Notice what he says. How? For obedience to Jesus Christ, that's what? So you would obey Christ, and by the sprinkling of his blood. Now, you and I are not Jews, so this doesn't mean anything to us. To a Jew, when this was written, this sprinkling of the blood comment would have like set off bells and whistles and fireworks and everything. Because to a Jew, here's what that meant. When God took children of Israel out of, out of Egypt, he set up a covenant with them, and he said, this is what I want you to do. And Israel said, we will obey you. And then what Moses did is Moses took, and he took the blood of an animal they sacrificed, and he went in and he sprinkled the blood on the altar. And when Moses did that, what it was, was it was signifying the sealing of a covenant. 
So to a Jew, when he read this, he realized this was, an, this was Peter was saying, God has promised with his blood that he is going to be your God. It was a binding covenant on his part. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it was a binding thing. And God said, look, I am, I am with you forever. It's a done deal. And then he takes it one step further and he says, grace and peace be unto yours in abundance. He then takes it one step further and he says, therefore, basically, look, because God's done this, folks, it's his grace that has been offered to you. And you know what you need? Peace. Abundant peace. Why? Because God's promised you that he's going to save you and he's taking care of you and he's sealed it with his blood and that ought to bring you incredible peace in your life. So you know what? I don't care what Washington does this week. I don't care what your paycheck says when you get it this week. I don't care what turmoil comes into your life. As a believer, God has given you incredible peace that he offers you. And so he goes on and he takes it to the next thing. And he says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about this and he says, In his great mercy, what's the next phrase say? He has given what? Be really careful here. He has given what? Who's, what, what word does he use? Us. Very few times does Peter ever do this. Very few times does Peter ever make a personal pronoun like this. He says, look, you need to understand, God did this to us. And he's including himself in it. He said, he has given us, in his great mercy, he has given us what? New birth. And he describes it. And he says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He said, do you understand that when God saved you, He gave you a hope that this world knows nothing about? And he describes it as a living hope, a hope that has life. A hope that is different than the world talks about when it talks about hope. And he says, you need to understand, God gave you that. And he said, here's how you know that. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the beauty of Easter is the fact that we celebrate the fact that Satan doesn't win, and death doesn't win. You've heard me say it often. If you've ever been to a funeral I've done, I stand at a graveside. To a believer, I do not say goodbye. I simply say goodnight, I love you, and I'll see you in the morning. Because I walk away from that graveside knowing I'll see him again. It's okay. I have a living, real, genuine faith and hope that the world knows nothing of. And he said, because Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, you and I have that kind of living hope. It's a hope that's living, it's lasting. And then he goes on to say this. And an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. He takes it one step further. He says, and not only that, not only do you have this hope, not only do you have this mercy, not only do you have this peace, but you also have this inheritance that can never, ever be Perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. You and I, when I hear, hear inheritance, we have a mental image that comes to mind, right? In this century, when they talked about inheritance to a Jew, you know what came to mind? 
the promised land. That was what their inheritance was from God. So they left Egypt going to their inheritance, the promised land. And what happened? Because of disbelief, God said, you know what? I'll give it to your children. You don't want the inheritance? I'll give it to your kids. And so he gives it to their children. For 40 years, they wander and die off. But even that inheritance, when they went into promised land, what did they have to do? They still had to fight. They still had struggle. They still had all of these things that came with it. And ultimately, they go into exile, and they lose their inheritance part of it. But he says, this inheritance is not like that. The inheritance that God gives you and me, notice, it'll never perish, spoil, or fade. Never. And he takes it one step further. He says, who through faith, you are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, he talks about this idea. He says, let me tell you about this inheritance you have. He said, it is shielded. Okay, most of you have a, a smartphone or an iPad or a tablet or a nook or whatever it is you got now that's electronic. You know what I'm talking about. One of the first things that you should do when you get one of those is you buy a plastic shield cover that goes over the glass. Okay? And the reason you buy that is why? You, you want to protect it. You want to guard it, right? So that way if it, get, it, doesn't, it won't scratch the lens. Okay? It, it won't scratch the glass. You protect it that way. You guard it that way. Here's what he says. He said the inheritance that you have is shielded by God's power. It's protected by God's power. God says, that inheritance that I've got for you, I have put a, a, a protective cover around it. And when the time comes, in the last day, at the last time, I'll give it to you. Here's an analogy you can relate to. Let's say you have a friend that passes away. And um, you go to the funeral, and, and you're close and everything else, and all of a sudden, you go to your mailbox about a week later, and there's a letter in there from an attorney. And he says, uh, look, we're having a meeting on such and such a date. Um, you have been listed in the will, and we would like you to show up. And at that time, we're going to read the will and let everybody know what it says. And this is news to you. You didn't know this. Okay? So what happens? You wait. And you don't get it. You know you're getting something, but you don't know what. You know, they may have given you their dog, you know. And you're a cat person. Um, you know, I don't know. Whatever it is. But you're getting something. You know you're getting something. And so what happens? You then go into that meeting. Attorney sits. You sit in an office or, or, or a room or whatever else. An attorney reads the will. And your name comes up. And he says, and to, and to Gene Von Thomas, um, I have bequeathed, um, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. And it's yours. What Peter is saying to these people is, look. When God saved you, God guarded and protected your salvation. And there's coming a day. For us, it's either going to be at the, at the second coming of Christ, or, I mean, the rapture of the church, or it's going to be when we die. And at that day, if you will, the will's read and God gives it all to you. Until then, you know it's coming, and you might get little bits and pieces of it, but you don't have it all yet. When that day comes, it's all going to be revealed to you. And it's all going to be given to you. And Peter took, looks at these people and he says, Look, <coughs> you need to understand that that's what God's done for you. And there's coming a day 
when you will get it all. Then he goes on to say this. Takes the next passage in verse 6 and he says, In this, greatly rejoice. Now remember, he's talking to people who are dying because they call themselves a Christian. And he says, in this salvation or in this God, there's a lot of debate. You rejoice. Because, notice what he says now. What's next? Though now for a little while, you may have to have you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He says, You take great comfort and joy in your salvation, even though you might be going through a hard time right now. Even though things aren't working out like you planned. Even though your world has kind of turned upside down. You take great you rejoice. Because even that is just for a short time. And then he goes on to say this. These have come. What has come? The grief, the trials. By the way, the word trials is only mentioned twice in the Bible, once here and once in the book of James. He says here, these have come. Why? Why do trials, difficulties, hardship, why do they come into our, into our life? Notice what he said. That your faith of greater worth than gold. He brings up this gold thing. Okay? You, know how, you know how much gold's worth right now? Okay, turn on any of the really good channels that you should be watching and watch all of the Bering Sea gold, um, uh, the guys up in the Yukon, Gold Rush, um, uh, Bamazon, the Alabama boys that are digging for gold in, 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 uh, in the Amazon. Huh? The shopping channel. <laughs> um, I probably have that on my satellite. I just never watch it. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see all this crazy stuff about all these people doing all this stuff to get gold. Here's what he says. By the way, it's mentioned 385 times in Scripture. Here's what he says. Your faith has a higher price than even that. It's worth more than gold. It's more precious. It's more valuable. But he says, this is what's happened. This is why the trials come. So that your faith of greater worth than gold. And he talks about gold. It perishes even though it's refined by fire. Even though you get it so it's pure and, and it's worth more and everything. Eventually, it, it goes away. Eventually, you'll lose that ring. If you've had a gold ring on for any length of time, you know that it starts to get worn in the back. Why? It perishes. But he says, your faith? No. Uh-uh. And he goes on to say this. May be proved genuine. You see, a faith that's not tested isn't worth much. You think about it for a minute. Do you really want to get in? Let, let, let's say that I've been building a vehicle in my garage. Do you really want to be the first person to drive it? That's because you have a death wish. Um, you know, no, I mean, you don't want to be the first person. Why? You want something that's tested. When you buy a new car, you don't want them to look at you and go, now look, we've got this like really cool safety feature in the car, but we don't know if it works or not. You know? This is a whole new seatbelt restraint system, but it's never been in a crash. You know? This is a really neat new car seat, 
but we don't know if it'll survive a five-mile-an-hour crash or not. You know, you want something that's tested. You want something that's proven. If you buy any electrical stuff, believe it or not, there's, there's like a little label you should look for. You want to know that it's been UL tested. That means that when you plug it in, it's not been made by some foreign company with some bizarre electrical system that's going to blow up on you. You want stuff tested. And that's what he said. He said, look, God's going to test your faith. So it can be proved that it's genuine, that it's real, that it stands the test of time. And he knows what he goes on to say. Why? Because that will result in the praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. The world looks at you and goes, you know what? I don't understand how you cannot be mad at the boss over the way he treated you. I mean, you ought to stand up and just fight for your rights and tell them off and give them a piece of your mind and da-da-da-da-da-da. No, because as a Christian, I handle things differently. I can't understand. All this stuff has happened to you, and you you act like you're just oblivious to it. No, I'm very much aware of what's going on. I'm very much aware that the doctor looked at me and said, I have six months to live. I get it. No question about it. But I don't, I, I'm not going to get all bent on shape on it. I'm going to make the best of every day, just like I have for my entire life. Why? Because the glory of Christ, the honor of Christ can be revealed. And then he goes on to say this. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you still believe in him. Now, you and I can't see this, but in the Greek language, this does something really cool. There's a whole bunch of parallels that jump back and forth in this thing. And then he goes on to say this. You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Glorious joy, it's the only time it's ever used in the Bible. It's like super spectacular kind of joy. And, and listen to what Peter's going to say now. For receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Here's what he says. And if you can look at it, it's, it's easier if you look at it this way, but I could never figure out how to look at it how to get it up here so you can see it. So I'm going to try to explain it. He says, you've never seen Jesus. But you still love him and believe in him. And he goes on and takes it one step further. And because of that, you have this incredible joy in your life. And the reason you have that joy in your life is because... You are receiving the whole purpose of faith, which is your salvation. He said, that's what's happening. You have this incredible faith, and and God is going to honor that in this incredible way. And he explains to him that way, and he says, it is a glorious joy, an incredible joy. And then listen to what he says. He ends it by saying this. Concerning this salvation, he says, let me tell you something about the salvation you and I possess. The prophets who spoke of grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories would follow. They said, the Old Testament guys, they, they, they racked their brains trying to understand this thing that you and I get to experience. And he goes on to say this, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke the things that have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He says, all that stuff that you've been preached to, all that stuff that you know, all that salvation stuff that you've been given, all of that, he said, these people racked their brains trying to understand it. But God gave it to you. 
And then he takes it one step further. I love the way this ends. Even angels long to understand it. The angels in heaven look down on you and I who have put, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and goes, man, I would love to have that. Peter writes to these people and says, let me tell you something. You have been given something that should make a difference in the way you handle life. You have been in this, given this incredible gift of salvation. The Old Testament prophets, they would have given anything to experience what you and I got to experience. The angels in heaven look down every day and go, man, I wish I could enjoy that. That is an incredible thing. Look, we all came off of Christmas. We had gifts that we enjoyed opening and receiving. No gift like the gift of salvation that you and I have been given. Nothing compares to it. And Peter's writing to these people, who, by the way, some of them that he's writing to are going to die because they call themselves a Christian. And he said, do you understand the inheritance and the joy and everything else that God has given you? He said, you need to, because it is something that even the angels envy. That's how he ends the first 12 verses. Two lessons. Lesson number one. We're strangers here, folks. And we get pretty comfortable in this world, and we get pretty concerned about the direction of this world and all those things. I get it. But you know what? We're visitors here. Our citizenship, yes, we have to live out the life in this world. I get that. But that's not where our citizenship is. Our citizenship, those of you who have been overseas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been on mission trip after mission trip. We've gone over there. I love going on the mission field. But I'll tell you what. The thing that I look forward to more than anything else is when you get off the plane, you walk through the tunnel, and there's a sign that says, Welcome to the United States of America. Why? Because this is my country. As flawed and messed up as it is, I'm proud of it. Because you know what? I really wouldn't want to live anyplace else. And... When you come in, and then they look at your passport, and they stamp it, and they say, Welcome to the United States of America. It's like, home. This is where I'm comfortable. You know? I don't have to figure out what the currency exchange rate is anymore. I don't have to know if I'm being ripped off or whatever. I'm comfortable here. Peter and, and, and Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, is going to basically say to you and I this. We're strangers here. This is not our home. This is not where we need to get comfortable. This is not where we need to go, oh, I've got to hang on to every single thing I can, I, I can get from this world. This is not home, folks. So I love life here. I enjoy it. I try to make the most of it every day. But the bottom line is, if, if you get a call tomorrow or an email tomorrow that says, I died, let me tell you something, I'm okay with that. Because I've got a lot of people that I've missed and a lot of people I'm going to see and... Lord willing, you put your faith and trust in Christ. It's just a time, matter of time till we meet again. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Why? Because this ain't home for me. This is not home for me. And it helps me because my dad was executive for Texaco. We moved every three or four years. For a long time, people said, well, where, are you, where did you grow up? I really didn't have an answer. Because we moved all the time. 
So this stranger foreigner concept, I get. I'm a city kid living in the country. Believe me, I feel like a foreigner here. Okay? You know, you get into discussions about yield rates and, and, and feed values and, you know, I mean, Lael, I just glaze over when he starts talking about whatever that percentage is in hay that you guys are looking for or whatever, you know. We start talking about it and it's like... And I'm okay being a stranger here. I still love it. You'd, I'd still go back to the city kicking and screaming. Because I want to make the best of it. And this is where God's put me. And I couldn't be happier. But the reality of it is, this is not home. And you need to remember that. Because I think sometimes we try to hang on and try to make too much. And we make everything about this world. And the reality of it is when you can live this way, that this world's not your home, then you start focusing on things that have eternal value and not temporal value. So all of a sudden, what you have and what you own is not so much important, is not as important as who you can influence and who you can impact and what kind of relationships you have. Putting in those extra hours at work to get that other position or to get those few more dollars is not as important as going home and spending time with your kids who have an eternal soul that will live on forever. It changes you. And that's what Peter's trying to get across to you. And he talks about this idea that, you know what? This world's not home for you. And then the other thing that he talks about is this idea of the salvation that we have in Christ. It ought to produce joy in our life. But we forget it. We don't pay attention to it. And he says this, look... What you have, the angels of the Old Testament prophets long for. And you have it, and you're not excited about it? I don't get it. When was the last time you heard this from somebody? You walk in, lady's got a stomach out to here, and you look at her and go, well, are you expecting? Now, by the way, you always let them speak that first. You don't assume that ever. But you let them go, are you expecting? And they look at you and go, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been expecting. I'm nine months along, but we just didn't want to tell anybody. It's no big deal. Or you look at a girl, and all of a sudden you know she got an engagement ring on, and, and, and they're good friends of yours, and she goes, yeah, we got engaged, but I don't want to tell anybody. Oh, yeah, we had a kid last week, but we didn't want to say anything. Or you're a grandparent, and, you're like, and it's your first grandchild, and you're like, no, we're not going to tell anybody we're grandparents. Really? What world do you live in? When you're excited about something, what do you do with it? You share it. You share it. And you're not ashamed of it. Oh yeah, I didn't want you to see my diamond. No, they walk into church like this. Look like an elephant walking with a big trunk in front of them. You know, now they have gender reveal parties. Do you know what these are? My sister had one of these. That's the dumbest thing in the world. You get a whole bunch of people all gathered together. They had a box in the middle. And at the, at, when everybody wanted to know, they opened up the box. And if blue balloon came out, it was a boy. And if it was pink balloon, it was a girl. We called that in my day, birth. 
You have a boy. Oh, good. You have a girl. Oh, okay, great. You have twins. Oh, no, I'm out of here. Uh, you know, I mean, I, it's one of those kinds of things. But, you know, now this is like a, a big deal. Why? Because everybody's so excited about it. They, they, sonogram pictures. Have you seen the new 3D sonogram pictures? It is incredible. You don't see people get that sonogram picture and go, no, no, no we're not going to share this with anybody. I mean, good night. It's on Facebook. They take out, you know, it's one or half of them don't take out print space in a newspaper um, and everything. Oh, why? Because everybody's so excited about it. So let me ask you something. Then why do we keep quiet about our Christianity? Why are we so afraid to open our mouths and say something? Why do we feel bad looking at people and saying Merry Christmas? Man, it was, a, it was like throwing down a gauntlet to me this year. I let him go, Merry Christmas. Just to see how they'd respond. Why? Folks, let me tell you something. When you and I really start to understand and embrace our salvation, Peter's talking to people who by walking out of that reading of that scripture and walked out and said to their neighbor, I'm a Christian, meant they might die that week. And he said, you know what? There is an incredible joy that should come into your life and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. My challenge to each of us this week, I don't want you to get fired. I'm not after that. So you know what your workplace policies are. But let me tell you something. When you have an opportunity to tell people what God's done in your life, don't miss it. It's like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. One of the things that God uses to grow in people's lives is other people. And you might be that catalyst. You might be that person. So allow God to use you this week. And for those of you who are still struggling and you may have never embraced Christ, there is a hope that only comes through Christ. Don't leave this world without a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you don't know when that last day will come. You don't know. So you make sure you're ready. I'm going to end this morning with, here's my, uh, here's my benediction, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, um, my blessing, I guess, for you this week. this week. May each of you rest assured in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. May you genuinely embrace the concept that this world is not home. May the world see the joy that's in your heart and as difficulties come into your life. May you have the courage and confidence that lets you go forward without fear. Let God use you this week. Let's pray. Lord.